having um, Pastor choose the Psalms for me. It hasn't always been the easiest uh, to work through the Psalms, uh, but it's such, it's such a privilege because the Psalms are so unique, as we have been uh, saying the last few weeks, because uh, so much uh, about Scripture is God speaking to man, and the Psalms give a chance to, to see man speak back to God. And at times they're interrogating God, sometimes they're questioning God, and it just helps me uh, be reminded that it's okay to ask God questions. It's okay to say, God, why am I here? Why is this situation like this? But it's not, um, it's not just uh, asking God, interrogating God, but it's seeking how to respond in light of that. And the psalmist continually seeks to glorify God in the midst of his circumstance. And I think that's something that uh, I too need to learn time after time after time. So that's part of what I've learned in the Psalms um, already is that, um, that it's okay to express to God how we feel, but there's also a response to that, and that response in, in knowing God more can lead us to a heart of prayer and a heart of praise and singing for Him to Him. Uh, have you ever asked yourself, uh, is the world getting worse day by day? I've heard this, the question a lot over the last few years, and you know, whether talking to some people in my family or in the church or friends, just looking at the world we live in today and saying, man, the world is, a quite, is an evil place. And they usually talk about the, the time that their grandparents and grandmothers grew up in, maybe 40, 50 years ago, and they highlight everything good that happened then, and they would compare it to where we are today and say, Look at all the death, the sickness, the evil, and the destruction of the world. Is the world not getting worse and worse? That's a hard question for some of us to answer. I mean, with media and technology and the news today, we hear about things almost instantly, right? We can hear something that's happening in, in Afghanistan or, or Iraq or China, and we can hear about it within 10 minutes of it actually happening. We can hear about a, a shooting in Wilkes-Barre. You know, on, on, on the nightly news or um, through social media. Almost within um, minutes of it actually happening. And so we're quick to say that the world is getting worse and worse. But not only that, it's, it's the thought of God in society. That's nowhere to be found. You see, God is almost removed from the culture we live in. He's almost forgotten. And as Christians, in the midst of, in the, midst of the, the loud and chaotic voice of society, you know, when, when the question of evil uh, and, uh, and life is coming down, we, we sort of speak up and we say, wait, God exists. God is still at work. But we, when, we, when we speak that, that still small voice that, that God is still alive and He's still working, what is our response in return? The response is, if God exists, where is he? If God exists, where is he? A lot of times I guess I fumbled through that question. Now, as in preparation for today's sermon, I think I would answer it this way. Right here. Can anybody tell me what this is? I asked Ray before 
instead of the green plant. <laughs> That's about as far as I would get. <laughs> but this is a, uh, from the little tag here, it says it's a variegated vinca vine. And I would, I would answer that question, where is God today? Where is he? What is he doing? I'd say he's right here. Now, I'm not a, I'm not a pantheist in any way. I don't say that God is in, in creation, in, his, in, in the plants or, or animals. But I would say that, that God is here in the way that this plant is dependent on God. This plant is dependent on God for life. Now, I might have some... Uh, there might be a number of people that come into the store and, and they might argue with me on that fact. They might say, no, it is up to me to keep this plant alive. I can put this plant in good soil. I can water it every day. I can fertilize it with miracle Grow. It's up to me to keep this plant alive. And I might say, absolutely not. Because, you know, growing up on a farm, growing up in the greenhouses, I know that if you treat all these plants the same... You treat all the animals the same, not all of them are going to survive. Isn't that right? You might plant 100, uh, 100 kernels of corn, and you might only get 75 back. You might start off with 50 lambs, and at the end of the year only might have 35. You see, life is out of our hands. Life is dependent on God. And as I look at this plant, I would say that there are no atheist plants. There's, there's no plants that exist that can exist without God. Because these plants, in all creation, is dependent on God for life. I think Psalm, of, Psalm 104 answers that question. Where is God? And what is he doing in our lives today? If you turn with me to Psalm 104, I would invite you to, to think that the, the Psalm 104 is, is about the creation narrative. And some might say it's actually a commentary on Genesis 1. And sometime today or within the week, if you're, if you're studious and you'd like to find out, look, read through Psalm 104 and with another Bible, have Genesis 1 open. And look at the correlations and try to figure out what verses represent each. And it's a fascinating study. But Psalm 104 demonstrates, and, is, and is, uh, the psalmist is speaking of who God is in relationship to creation. And he's, he's highlighting the, uh, the, the, the magnitude, the greatness, the splendor of God. And if you were to look at the structure of Psalm 104, it might be funny to you, but you might see a sandwich. Because, and I'm not sure if the psalmist was eating lunch, but if you look at how the psalm begins, it ends with the same statement. What is the statement that Psalm 104 begins with? Praise the Lord. Or my soul, praise Yahweh. And how does the psalmist end in verse 35? Praise the Lord. So the same thought that the psalmist begins with is the same thought that he ends with, almost like the, the bread of the sandwich. And so the psalmist is, is beginning his, his statement and he's, beginning, and he's ending his psalm with the very same thought, praise the Lord. 
Verses 1b through 24 are kind of like the vegetables on your sandwich. They are illustrating God's role and God's nature within creation, who he is. And then the next chunk would be verses 25 through 30, which is creation's response, creation's dependency on God. That's kind of like the condiments you put on the sandwich. And then the meat of the sandwich would be verses 31 through 35, which demonstrate it's it's the the meat of the sandwich, the meat of, of the psalmist's response to all that he's looking at, not only God's hand in creation, but but creation's dependency on God. And the psalmist is going to respond in, in joy, in singing, in praise of Yahweh. Look with me at uh, verse, one through, uh, verse 1 and 35, how the psalmist opens. He says, he says, My soul praise Yahweh. And what does he add to that in verse 35? My soul praise Yahweh. Does anybody have hallelujah? Which means, which means praise the Lord again. So it's just a restatement of his praise the Lord. In verse 1, as he says, my soul praise the Lord, that, what he's doing there is he's telling his soul, he's invoking his soul to praise God. Now it might be tough to see this, but what he's actually doing is not merely just invoking himself to praise God, but he's commanding himself to praise. How often do you actually command yourself to do something? Not very often. But I think there's one or two instances in which we have to command our bodies to do something. Have you ever gotten up early in the morning, 3 or 4 a.m., maybe perhaps to go hunting or to go fishing uh, or to to go on vacation? You get up early. Does your body want to wake up at 3 or 4 a.m. just on its own naturally? Just jump out of bed. No. You have to, your mind has to tell your body, get up, wake up, let's go. You know, we have to be on time. And so that's sort of what the psalmist is doing here. He, he may not feel, you know, excited or ready to praise the Lord, but he's commanding his soul to bless God, to praise the Lord. And so he's He's, he's ready, and he might, be, he might be kneeling, or his hands might be open wide, but he's ready to praise God. And how does he do that? He does that in the verses to follow. He's going to look at the, the, the greatness, the splendor, and the majesty of his God, of Yahweh. Verses 2 through 24. The psalmist says, Lord My God, you are very great. You are clothed with majesty and splendor. If you were to look at verses 2 through 23, each one of those verses is going to to summarize and illustrate what's happening in verse verse 1. Each of them are to illustrate the fact that God is great, that God has his clothes with splendor, and is clothed, clothed with majesty. He says things like the creator, he wraps himself in light. Who wraps the creator? Himself. No one else. He wraps himself as if it were a robe or a cloak. The creator, he's spreading the sky as if it were a canopy. This is like pulling, 
uh, pulling a, a shade over your window. That's how easy it is for the Creator uh, to, to spread the sky as though He's just spreading a mere canopy or a tarp. The Creator, He lays the beams of His palace on the waters above. He makes the clouds His chariot. He walks on the wings of the wind. He makes the winds His messenger. Flames of fire His servants. I can't imagine the, the, the psalmist uh, illustrating this any better than how he is now. He's recognizing that God is not just, uh, uh, you know, using metaphors. He's, he's describing God as a great king who controls the clouds, who controls the skies, who controls the fire. And he uses them to demonstrate his majesty, to demonstrate his splendor and his creatures his created beings recognize what he's doing in creation. We could go on. It says that you've covered the deep as if it were a garment. The water stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they hurried away to the place you established for them. Mountains rose, valleys sank to the place you established for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. You will never cover the earth again. Notice that, that God's control over the, the things that he's creating, over the water, over the valleys, over the mountains. What control, what greatness, what power, what splendor. Not only does God control, not only is God the author, the originator of his creation, but he's looking out for what he creates. Notice in verse 21, he says, the lion, the young lion roar for their prey and seek their food from God. As I was studying this verse, I began to think that when the, the lions roar for their prey, that they seek their food from God. That God is providing the prey for the lion. That's quite a difficult thought to think about, though. Because lions aren't vegetarians, are they? No. Not that I know of. Um, and so it might hurt your theology to think that God provides prey for the lion. That God is sacrificing one animal for the sake of the life of another. Could God do something like that? Is that within his, his morals? Is to, to give away the life of an animal so that another animal can live? I think we see that, that same element happening elsewhere in Scripture. That God, is, uh, that God is sacrificing one being for another. It's helpful to think that God is a sacrificial God. Yes, God desires obedience, but God also desires uh, the sacrifice of some for the life and the establishment of others. And so even with this case with the lion, God is sacrificing life so that the lion can live. But he also does that for us as well. It goes on 22, the sun rises and then goes back and lie down in their dens. Man goes to his work and to his labor until evening. 
Verse 24 summarizes everything that's been said in verses 2 through 23. The psalmist says, probably David, he says, How countless are your works, Lord. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Would you and I, could we say this same statement today? Could we look back and say, Lord, your works are countless in wisdom. You have made them all. It is the work of your hand. Uh, What about the psalmist, if he were with us today? Could he make that same statement? Many of us have heard that, that no, it's, it's over the course of billions and billions of years that the mountains were formed and the valleys were formed. And, and if David were here today, he would have recognized how naive he was to say that God had created these beautiful areas, beautiful mountains, beautiful valleys. So David would probably retract his statement and say, Yeah, you're probably right. It was probably billions of years that it took to form these, and God had no part in that. Do you think David would say that? I don't think so. I think David, if he were here today, if the psalmist were here, I think he would make the same expression. And he would say, how countless are your works, O Lord. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. You see, David is not starting with the end result. David is not looking at the mountains. He's not looking at the valleys and saying, hey, I wonder how these got here. No, David is looking at the originator, the, the, the author of creation, and he knows, if, as he, if he knows the author, then he will know the end result. You, you see, I think evolutionists are, are, are far too quick to look at the end result and try to describe how that result came to be. And in their, in their logic, the reasoning, they try and figure out that end result by figuring that God couldn't have been part of the end result. Whereas David, he starts at the beginning. He starts and looks at the creator, God. If this is the, the person, the nature, and the, and the greatness of God, then, then it is easy to see that these mountains, these valleys, these rivers were created by him. Evolutionists start here trying to figure out life before without God. The psalmist starts with God and looks at the end result and is in awe and amazement because he recognizes his creator's hand at work. David proclaims, how countless are your works, Lord. In wisdom you have made them. The earth is full of your creature. Ben Stein was right in searching for the case of the intelligent design. But we can't stop there because the psalmist doesn't. The psalmist doesn't just stop at the fact that God is the the originator, the author of creation. Some people have, have, have come to the conclusion that God started everything but just walked away and rested. That God just let creation go and do whatever it wanted to do. And that's part of how we got to where we are today. But I'm not convinced that's what the psalmist believes. The psalmist goes on, David, uh, in, in verses 25 through 30, and he recognizes that all the sea creatures are waiting for God. 
What are they waiting for in verse 27? Somebody call it out. What are the, the sea creatures waiting for in verse 27? They're waiting for food, right? And I'm convinced that, that all the other creatures that are being described in this passage are too waiting for food given to them by God. See, many have believed that the, the lie that, that God began creation and let it go its natural course, that he started creation and let it go and let it do his own thing. But the psalmist boldly declares that creation is, is, has not just been let go, but it is still waiting, that creation is still dependent on God for food each and every day. How often are we dependent on God for food? A lot of times we depend on the grocery store, right? The grocery store, you know, when we go, we get milk, bread, and eggs, right? And then when there's a storm or a crisis, all of us try and get there as fast as we can, you know, to get milk, bread, and eggs. And we end up depending on other people to supply that, right? I mean, Mountain Fresh can only supply so many bread, milk, and eggs (laughs) for all of us. But what would it look like to rely on God in the center of a storm? In that situation. You see, the psalmist says that all of creation, it waits for God to feed it. And yet we wait on others to feed us. Creation waits. Creation is dependent upon God. Upon reading Psalm uh, 104.27, this illustration came to mind. Uh, sometimes when I'm eating a piece of pizza and headed over to the barnyard, our dog Jasmine will come running. And not just prancing along, but she'll run at extraordinary speeds to get to where I am. And regardless of what gate, what door I come in the barn with that piece of pizza that I'm finishing up before I do chores, she knows where I'm at. Because she wants a little piece, a little snippet of pizza. And whether or not it's good for her, I don't know, <laughs> probably not. But, but the fact is that she, she anxiously waits for that little bit of pizza crust that I give to her. And she won't leave my side until she has a piece. And so if I take a step over here, she'll take two steps over here. If I take a step over here, you know, move this way, she'll be right there. And she's not going to leave my side until I give her a little piece of pizza. Because she knows that when I give her that piece of pizza, it will, it will reach and, and activate all of her senses. And she'll feel as though she reached her desire. Because she was anxiously awaiting that food. Do we do that with our relationship with God? Do we anxiously await? Do we depend on God for just a a little ounce of food each and every day or just for the, the material blessings that God would bless us? Do we say, God, I desire to be dependent on you. God, I know that you have created everything. And yet, and while I might have so much, I still want to depend on you. Whether the times are tough 
whether the times are good, I desire to be close to you. Verses 31 to 35. These verses demonstrate the response of creation in the psalmist as they seek to live in dependence of their creator. If I were to, if I were to show you a purpose statement from this psalm, I think it's, it's verse 31. When the psalmist is, is looking back at all of creation, all that he's saying about the splendor, the greatness, the majesty of God, and he's already illustrated that. He's demonstrated that, that creation is anxiously waiting upon God that they are dependent on God for their daily food. And here he's ready to give a response that of all of creation, the purpose of creation is to give glory to God. And may the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. You see, we might give you know, many other purposes of, of creation you know, to satisfy ourselves, to, to meet our own demands, to, to abuse others and push others down. But here we see a purpose of God's creation. It's so that the Lord might be glorified and that his works might endure forever. You see, the psalmist, he goes on to respond to his creator. And how does he respond? He responds through singing and praise of God. You see, as the psalmist sits back and, and reviews all of creation, all of, of, of God's created, uh, created things, animals, plants, and nature, he responds and his soul is ready to praise the Lord, to rejoice in song. You see, the psalmist knows that he can't provide all of his needs. David knows that, that he is going to fall short at some time. That there's going to be a time when he doesn't have everything he needs to survive. And so his response is to become dependent upon God. Become dependent on God. See, David is in awe of his creator. Because he recognizes that dependency upon God leads to praise. Dependency on God leads to praise. And so as, as the psalmist looks at everything that God has made, he recognizes that, that God not just is the originator, the author of creation, but that God sustains creation. That God is the sustainer of creation. It's not that God has just started the process and left everything go. But God is constantly at work. He is feeding the animals daily. And so the psalmist recognizes that. And he says, I need to be dependent on God. And that dependency leads him to prayer, leads him to praise of his creator. You see, dependency on God doesn't have to be hard. I would think that independence from God is harder than dependence on God. How many people do you know and interact with each and every day that are trying to live independent of God as though he doesn't exist, as though he doesn't interact with their lives? Doesn't that seem a lot harder than just saying, this is who God is, this is what he has done for you? And just live in dependence upon him. You see, to me, to act independent of God is much harder than living in dependence to God. A helpful passage for me is John 15, 5 through 10. When Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. 
The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. If anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire, and they burn. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask, and whatever you want, it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. To me, remaining in Jesus is a lot like this vine. You see, you might think that we're all on our own, all separate, all by ourselves in life, and independent. And others think that they're independent of God, but no, we are connected to the vine. We are connected to Jesus Christ. And so we are dependent on what Christ has already done for us through salvation at the cross. That is not up to us to, to seek to be dependent, but be dependent on what has already happened, what Christ has done for us. So today, if you're seeking to be dependent on God, learn to remain in Christ as the branches of the vine. Let's pray. Creator God, we are in awe of your greatness, of your splendor, of your majesty. We recognize that life cannot go on unless you allow it. We recognize as, as created beings that we rely upon you for our daily needs, our daily food. Help us to seek to be dependent upon you because the, the more dependent on you we are, the more our heart is ready to praise you. Father, be glorified in this time that we might draw close to you, recognize that you are our creator, recognize that you are sustaining life, and that it's not up to us, but that we can prove and be reminded of what Jesus said that you are the vine and we are the branches. So help us to remain in you, to recognize who you are and what you are doing in our lives. Amen. Just as the psalmist said, praise the Lord. Let's go out and praise the Lord and say hallelujah. So hallelujah. Hallelujah.